This is the day the Lord has made. Amen. The sermon for this 17th Sunday after Trinity is according to St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Today, we see kind of something that plays out in middle schools all over America. We'll see how. When there's that kid and they're sitting around, you got that one kid in your group that's going, you know, that Gus, he thinks he's so tough. He thinks he's so bad. If Gus was here right now, I'd punch him right in the face. And then all the kids are like this are going. And then he's like, he's standing right behind me, isn't he? <laughs> all of a sudden, this kid is faced with the reality of what he's talking about that goes beyond a hypothetical situation. It goes beyond what he's gaslighting over. But the truth now becomes apparent. And in our own lives, where are your, we look at our communities, where are your communities? In this life, we have several communities, don't we? We have our co-worker communities. We have our family communities. We have our friends' communities, hunting, camping buddies. What other kinds of communities are we in? Church? Jeez, you really made me wait on that one. Easy, man, there's visitors. Try to be on the ball. The church is a community an interesting community because it's the only one that is forged in the blood of Christ and built on the blood of the saints, of the martyrs, those who said, I believe you, Jesus, more than the world. Take my life, but I will not give up my confession. So we see the church is one foundation. The church's one foundation is Jesus. All those people that died, they didn't die for themselves. They died for the confession, the one true continuous apostolic confession of Jesus Christ. So it is a community forged in the blood of Christ and entered into in the waters of holy baptism. This confession of Christ, baptism that now saves you. So is this community your number one? Don't answer that one. Is it in your top five? Your top ten? Did it make the list? Because what we're talking about here is a very kind of an interesting word the Bible uses to describe the church. The word is ekklesia. Ecclesia, a very old Greek word, wasn't invented by Christians. It's an already existing word. Plato was the one to use it first or most commonly to describe the assembly. Literally, the ekkaleo, the an out of call. This word was used with the understanding that people were gathered 
everywhere they were gathered for a reason. From a call, not randomly, just kind of wandering around. Plato even wrote about the politia, or the all-citizens, where he speaks about different types of ecclesias. So why does it matter? Because the term, so you know, was very commonplace at the time of our Lord. Yet, like everything else, you notice Jesus takes something simple, takes something common, takes something that is not like, what is that made out of? Unicorn tears, obviously. He doesn't work like that. He takes things that are very commonplace. And by his word and by his promises, he makes them sacred and special and with meaning. In the gospel lesson, we see an excellent look at the abuse of God's community and Christ's correction of it. Because there's nothing more than our old Adam likes to do than take the wheel and aim the car right at a bridge abutment. So St. Paul describes this community as well in Ephesians 4. He writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. The one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We hear that calling in. Called out of. The ecclesia, right? We're hearing it now. Little free Greek lesson there. Just deepen it. These words aren't for unchurched people. Because they would just go, community, yeah, that's where we learned karate at the community center. Because to the unchurched, this kind of community means nothing to them. These words are for those who have been received by Christ in baptism. A community of those who have been humbled, brought low before the Lord. Each gathering here is an expression of the eagerness to maintain this Christian unity. Not because we're all like the same person that was put on a photocopier and made a bunch of copies of us. That's not how the church works. The church has lots of people. Most of them are kind of weird. We're not all just everything perfect. My life is perfect. Oh, you must be a Christian. (laughs) I'm going to get pulled out of the pulpit here. They're like, what? 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 Did you just say that? No, the Christian church is made up of only one type of person. And you know what they are? (laughs) He goes, sinners. Yes, only sinners may be allowed in here. If I have accidentally gotten because I left the door open and a a non-sinner came in. I'm sorry for wasting your time. You can go. But come to the picnic because the food will be amazing. (laughs) And then we would like to talk to you and maybe get your autograph. 
So we see these words here, people who have been made low, and much can be said of kind of the crass, rebellious natures of people who choose other communities over the ecclesia to Christu, as they say, the church or community of Christ. In the gospel, we see Jesus eating with the leader of a group of people who kind of had grown in prominence at the time of the gospel. They were the Pharisees. Mostly they were known as a group that kind of monitored and rebuked people in the Jewish community. For the ecclesia, the Aramaic was kahal, or the commonly referred to word as the church, which we get from the German word kirche, but that's another language lesson. The call into God's assembly was the one that Luther rightly says is one that the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies. Sanctifies, separates, makes holy. And at no point am I saying makes better than other people. Because if you think that, you should have been a Bible study today. Would have been a cold ice water rude awakening. Which you should come anyway. It's every Sunday at? 9.15. So glad. This shows when Jesus is sitting with the Pharisees on the Sabbath. A day when God has given his people to do what? Do we remember? Rest. Rest. See? See visitors? They know. They know. This is given to rest from their labors. During this time, a man with dropsy or edema, a swelling of extremities, I had to go to WebMD, <laughs> usually associated with kind of a heart condition. They come up, he comes up to Jesus, and knowing the Pharisees would attempt to take this gift of rest and turn it into a good work, Jesus kind of booms him, doesn't he? He says, um, hey guys, now they're having their intellectual conversation. Is it okay for me to heal this man on the Sabbath? And you notice they're all kind of going. Because the truth of the matter is, there was a bully standing behind Jesus that Jesus wasn't afraid of. The bully standing behind Jesus was the law. The law that he came to fulfill. The law that he spoke. And he's basically asking them, is it okay for me to love my neighbor today? Or is it just other days? And they didn't know what to say. That's where we were at in the Bible today. Is it okay for me to love this guy? Wow, um, because the guy is looking right at him in the face. Man, he's messed up. But I'm going to lose my cool seat if I say you should work on the Sabbath because I have been kicking people for 25 years for helping people on the Sabbath. Oh, oh. So they don't say anything. They don't do anything. They don't love anybody. They just clam up, turtle shell in. Which is fine because they left it up to the person who has the answers. Because it's not like if they said, no, don't do it, he'd go, okay. <laughs> the 
The Pharisees chose to remain silent, so Jesus healed him. And rather than sit there and let them get kind of falsely proud of themselves that they still hadn't done any work on the Sabbath, Jesus reminded them that if one of their children, and then he goes, and this is kind of a diss, if one of your children or an animal fell into a well on the Sabbath, they would not hesitate to rescue them, and they're still going, because that bully's right there. Their own righteousness, their own good works, their own good deeds, their own image in the community, their own awesome, better-than-thou, holier-than-thou reputation is still there looking at them going like this, They're like, don't say anything. Maybe he'll go away. To this, they were also speechless. He was showing them that God's call, his ecclesia into his community is far more merciful and not so fickle, not so unsure as the Pharisees would paint it. What God meant for mercy they twisted into a new law, didn't they? Nobody's ever going to hold it against you at the end of your life to say, you know what? That guy was a real pain. Why? Because he always helped people. You will not be found guilty for loving people. That is the purpose God has always had in gathering his people together, just so you know. As you are gathered even here today, it's no different. You are all broken and sinful unless that one guy got in. You all have sinned in thought, word, and deed by what you have done and by what you have left undone. We just reflected that in the liturgy. I didn't make that up. That's from the Bible. On account of God's great love and mercy, he calls you here to rest from your labors, to rest from the onslaught of the world, for peace, to commune with his and the communion of saints now and in eternity. So this truly is a community like no other. In this Christian community, we don't attempt to twist or even buck God's word as the Pharisees did. Rather, we are called to hear and believe, as St. Paul writes in Galatians 3. A community gathered in the highest form of worship, which is worship done in faith. A community where God does for us in his word and his sacrament. A community where the love of God and the love of neighbor are not our good works to appease God, but rather God's good works for you. There's a difference there. God's not down there going, "Mm, I gave you, I gave you an eight. Okay, and then you do another good work. He's like, 4.5. You didn't stick the landing. It's not how it works. It is a reflection of his goodness for you. 
That's what church is. That's why we make jokes about going, oh, your life is perfect. You must be a Christian. And we're in here going, you don't even know. But sometimes that's what the devil wants you to think. Because if your life is perfect, who don't you need? Jesus. If your life is without problems and you're always showing everybody how great your life is and you don't need anything, you don't need who? Yeah. Sunday school answer. My life is so good, I don't need Jesus. Your life is terrible, sir. In this place, we are called to do something which may sound horrifying to you. And I don't mean shake hands and say the peace of the Lord be with you. I mean, we are called here to share our burdens. To prove to ourselves, not to our neighbor. You know, he knows that she's not perfect. And she knows that he's not perfect. Sometimes he doesn't know. She doesn't know. And Rex, thank you for being my stuntman. Aaron, thank you. But it's true. We're called upon here to share our burdens, to share our joys, to share our wealth even, and our lives. Why? Because this is where Christ has gathered you, to forgive you for when you're not a good neighbor, to rebuke you for your idolatry of the other ecclesias that you love so much, the other churches that become your number one place of worship. The church family, the church of work, the church of drugs, the church of alcohol, the church of sleeping in. It's easier to be in those other churches because there's no sense of community, as St. Paul describes, unless you're in community of the church of I'm an island. We talked about that in Bible study today, too. St. Paul describes, or even as Jesus describes, remember the many with dropsy, edema? I like dropsy, though. I'm going to have to ask our medical people, do you ever go, you may have the dropsy. I want to be there for them. They're like, the what? In the community, God has called to rest on the Sabbath, where the Pharisees were misunderstanding that God meant both people and animals. So when the Lord of the Sabbath asks them about it, they really had nothing to say, did they? And so that the man suffering with edema might also find rest on this day, right? So he's in there suffering on the day when he's supposed to be resting. He can't rest because he's suffering. And Jesus is now saying, is it okay for this guy to Sabbath with us? And they're like, I don't know. See, you're missing the big picture. It's not about, look how good I did nothing. (laughs) And Jesus healed him so that he might enjoy the rest that he gave him. Thereby showing the connection to God loving us and loving our neighbors when he says that they would also help their son or an ox if they needed it on the Sabbath. Once again, the community of the one true God is revealed when God's gift of rest 
and mercy go unhampered. Simply because they are given as gifts and not works to make God smile. Or to make God like you more. Ooh, 9.6. You're amazing! Or to make you feel better than other people when you get that 9.6. And by the way, anything under a 10 is failing. You rest because you're tired. You rest because you need it. You need it and God gives it to you. And as we're getting close, and this might frighten you, to Advent, which is coming, dun, 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 dun. This is the perfect time to remind you of the community Christ has called you into. The one where God promises there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In this community, we are called to the wedding feast. In baptism, we are humbled, we are made low, we are made dead with Christ, from which he raises us up from the dead and makes us new creatures, a new creation. Don't be surprised by the symbolism of being ushered up to receive the feast of victory in Christ's kingdom, which has no end. Because the symbolism ends from the ushering, the reality occurs at the eating and the drinking. From the low, he has called you to be partakers of him, to share in his glory, to no longer be members of the community of the world and the church of the damned. Christ was raised up on the cross so that you might be brought to the front of the feast. And you're back there thinking, oh. he says, come up here, you're with me. Washes you and says, come up here, you're with me. You're not here because of you, you're here because of me and you're with me. It's interesting the thought in a Lutheran church of everybody sitting in the front row. <laughs> But that's how it works. We hate the front row. And Jesus is like, no, that's where you belong. You may have to do a Bible study to prove that. But this is the victory he calls us into. From the low, he's called you to be partakers of him, to share in his glory, to no longer be members of this world. Christ was raised on the cross that you might be brought to the front, the ones who were last having been made first. Giving us a reason to say, this is the day the Lord has made. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and your minds. 
in the one true faith, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.